The following is part of WFMP's public affairs educational programming. The views expressed are those of the speakers and not the station. If you would like to share your views, you may email us at wfmp.louisville at gmail.com. Now what's the word? Democracy. What's the word? Democracy. Yeah, what's the word? Democracy. Yeah, what's the word? Democracy. It ain't enough. Democracy. Make it grow. Democracy. The seed you sow spread democracy. You need enough. Democracy. Make it grow. Democracy. Don't let it go. Democracy. Don't let it go. Democracy. We are your election connection. We are your election connection. We are your election connection. Welcome everybody to a special election connection post-election, right, Ruth? Exactly. We're post. We're post. We made it through. <laughs> survived the election. Uh, my name is Justin Maga. Ruth has invited me onto the show today to sort of guest host a roundtable conversation. I'm really excited because I was in here on election night hosting a live election results all by myself and I didn't have anybody to talk to. So now we got we got the microphones full. I'm joined in the studio by Tori Strange, who's been on the show many times. Welcome back, Tori. Thank you. Hello, everybody. Bob Klein is running the board today. Hey, I am Bob. only an engineer today. <laughs> no, no, no. We're going to make this up. Ruth Newman, of course, back with us. Hi, Ruth. Yes, hello, hello. And a couple community members. I don't know if y'all have been on Ford Radio yet, but Letty Hare is here. Welcome, Letty. Well, glad to be here. Thank you, Justin. Yes, and we also have David Dutchke here in from Clout. You're a member of Clout, right? Uh, yes, I'm a member of Clout. You want to tell us a little bit about Clout? Well, Clout stands for Citizens of Louisville Organized and United Together. Been in business for 31 years. Wow. We're a direct action, uh, community-based organization, and the most effective in Metro Louisville. Well, that's we got forty million dollars for affordable housing trust fund. Anybody else going to match that today? <laughs> not me. Yeah, it's a good example of how citizens at the grassroots level can organize themselves and apply pressure. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So, was Clout involved in this most recent midterm election? Was there anything you all were advocating for? Uh, we don't. We don't get into election <laughs> politics. We yeah. are. We are a faith-based organization. Our, our basic membership is by congregations. My congregation, St. Leonard's Catholic Church, is a member. We pay dues, and that's how I'm a member. I'm a team leader there. And it's not, it's grassroots, but it's not magic roots. Okay. Yeah, you have to have money and staff to be effective. Right. Otherwise, you're just blowing smoke. Right. <laughs> well, and we're, we're to try and not well, we blow have, smoke. After right. that, we have staff. <laughs> yeah. So you have some money. <laughs> Yes. So, Ruth, you did a lot of coverage leading up to this election. Was there anything that really shocked you from uh, last Tuesday's results? Last Tuesday's results? I would say more relieved than shocked. <laughs> I was finally able to breathe in and out again. <laughs> but right the day before the election, I heard Michael Moore speak, and he pretty well nailed it. You know, he said that there was not going to be a red wave and he was right is that right yeah yeah, yeah those predictions were kind of shifting over time um what about locally uh anything 
surprise you locally? Hmm. Locally, I was a little bit surprised because we got two more. We got two more Republicans on the city council. Yeah, a couple seats flipped there, didn't they? They did, and um, they both were in the south end. It was District Twenty Five and District Thirteen. They were both from the south end, and I went to one of those candidate forums put on by the League of Women Voters here. So I heard both of them, the Republican and the Democrat from the Twenty Fifth District. And um, <laughs> I not only heard them, I recorded them, and I am now going to confess that I put them on my show, and I mispronounced uh -oh. the Republican's name. <laughs> I, I guess that it's spelled B A T S H O I N, I think, and I pronounce it Batshawn, and it's Bashan. <laughs> Oh, Bashan. I was wondering, that's all that name. I was wondering about that. I think that's what it is, yes. Okay. And he won. The Republican won. Oh, really? Yes. And, and uh, I was a little surprised at that because I thought that the other person made a much better case. Just Now, did any of you all uh, take advantage of the new rules about voting early? Yeah. Is that something anybody did? Tori, no. want to describe that? I took my 96-year-old dad to the polls oh, on the Saturday before the election. We went to Paris Town Foresters Hall mm -hmm. in Paris at Paris Town Point. Is that what they call it? Mm -hmm. And luckily, my dad is still pretty mobile. He's got a oh. walker because there were steps. There were about two series of steps, maybe four or five steps each series. But I was thrilled when we got there because it's a fairly small narrow street and it was crammed with cars and when we got inside the venue at almost every single voting table where you could sit down and fill out your ballot was full and uh but it was a smooth process i think there was a a police officer somebody with you know an official uniform i, I didn't really pay attention i was trying to make sure my dad could get up the yeah. steps but uh, that, that's the only sign I saw that they might have been expecting. They were just being careful not to have any interruptions of the vote process, and it went very smoothly. And everybody there was great. They were thrilled, clapping for my dad when he Aww. walked up and cast his vote. It was great. really gave me faith in democracy again. <laughs> Lenny, Lenny, I know you've been a little immobile lately. So did you have mobility issues getting into vote, or did you vote from home? Well, I did have mobility issues. I had a fractured uh, foot, and I was in a boot for two months. And so I wanted to vote early, and I don't have a car. Right. And I was going to have to take the bus to go vote in my precinct, which is at uh, Concordia Church, which is going up Broadway, mm -hmm. up Phoenix, or up the hill. Mm -hmm. And there wasn't a bus stop close to it for me getting there. Coming back would have been easier, but there was no good bus way. So I'm thinking, how am I going to vote? And then I realized from reading the uh, material online that people could vote at Bobby Holtzclaw's office, and that is three doors down from me. <laughs> so, 
and they gave maybe a list of 10 different uh, reasons you could vote early at her office. So I picked one, which was I was sane and I was elderly and I was having trouble getting to the polls. And I brought some doctor's papers with me in case they didn't believe the boot or something. They said nothing. It went easy peasy and there were quite a few people there. So it was altogether a very good experience. No drama, no nothing. Now this was a, a new experience for me. I don't know if any of you all have ever done this. You. Everyone in this room is older than me, so you've hopefully voted more times than I have, but I have never before spoiled my ballot until this election. There were so many things to vote on. I was doing my thing. I had done all my research. I knew who I wanted to vote for. I was just basically copying over onto the official ballot, right, from the sample ballot. And at some point I looked down and I'm like, I, I didn't mean to circle that. <laughs> So I took yeah, it funny. back to the people I got the ballot from, and I was like, I am so sorry. I spoiled my ballot. They're like, three strikes, you're out. I don't know if this is true. I don't know if the law is you get three chances, but they kept joshing me about that, and I only needed a second chance, but I got it right. I got it right. Is anybody else was just totally overwhelmed by this ballot? I mean, there was yes, so much. I was. And, and the very first mark on the ballot was a mistake. The very first one you, that I made. You screwed up, too. <laughs> yes. Well, it, uh, for some reason, I took my pen and I marked a big X. <laughs> I thought that's what we were supposed to do, put X's in. Oh, and you fill in the circle. Yeah, 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 yeah. So X marks the spot, yeah. <laughs> but after I went back to the guy and I said, I think I made a big mistake, can I have another ballot? He said, oh, no, it's fine. I hope he was right. Okay. Because I went back and I just filled in. the X in, but yeah. it stuck out on all four sides. So Yeah, you know, something uh, that I found was very helpful is I looked at everything before the election online and got a printout and made sure I knew what I was doing before I got there. Those amendments were very lengthy, and I could understand that if somebody just looked at them at, for the first time oh, yeah. and be like, what are they talking about? And there were so many judges on there. Yeah, I, I had printed out the ballot and then researched who I wanted to vote for, for some of the judges who I had no idea who they were. And many unopposed. Many. And I, I want to add that Ruth, fortunately, had recorded a wonderful session with the League of Women Voters. I can't remember the name of the gentleman who talked about the two amendments that were on the ballot because the first one was just legal mumbo jumbo. I, I read it over a few times and I still don't know what it said. I mean, I don't know how they were able to get that on the ballot. That wording was so confusing. And if, if you didn't know what that amendment was about, you wouldn't have a clue what you were voting for, yay or nay. Exactly. Um, the Second Amendment was even a little strangely worded, I thought. It, it's, for some reason, maybe it's done deliberately, you know, to obfuscate more of the true meaning of what the amendment would do. That's all I can figure. But luckily, I had listened to Ruth's program, and I knew, I knew all the details. It was great. Thanks, Ruth, for doing that. Yes, and the man was very well qualified. He was with the... Um, the Kentucky Legislative Research Commission. Commission. And also, he was with the Ethics Commission. He was their director. So he had good qualifications for being able to summarize that amendment. So these two amendments 
came from the legislature, right, in Kentucky. They passed yes. these I don't know, bills to, to, to make it so that the people would get to vote on these things. Right. And so we'd have more of a direct democracy. Does anyone know why they chose that strategy? Because it seems to have failed. I mean, both amendments were voted down by a pretty decent margin, a little closer than I would have liked, yeah. but voted down. And I don't think the legislator would have done that if they if they knew it was going to be voted down, right? All that, I, and I'm just guessing, total guessing, it seems to me that maybe they thought with all this mumbo-jumbo for Amendment 1. It would just be confusing. Right? That it would be so confusing that people would just piggyback it off of yeah. Amendment 2. And if they voted yes on Amendment 2, they would vote yes on Amendment 1. I, I'm wondering if that's what was going through their heads, mm -hmm. that they would just piggyback it. The Kentuckians have a long history of voting down these amendments. That are but it was a constitutional change, though. It wasn't a legislative change. It's changing the Constitution of Kentucky. Yeah. And there were probably hidden agendas involved in that. Right. Yeah. <laughs> no, no. no. <laughs> they wouldn't do that. Not in our legislature. <laughs> uh, we saw uh, these uh, abortion amendments. Uh, pretty much not succeed across the country, too. Uh, I'm trying to remember if there's an exception to that. Uh, but it does seem like the people are... are, are when, when direct democracy is allowed to happen, it does seem like that what we hear from the polling, anyway, seems to be more accurately reflected in those direct democracy things rather than, you know, voting for someone who's supposed to speak for you and then, well, look what we get in, in a place like Kentucky. And the problems there are a multitude. And I... Do hope we, as Ford Radio, we talk about these issues. Why democracy is failing in America, and why so many were saying that democracy was on the ballot uh, this time around. And I don't know which of you have a particular one of these that you want to shout out about, but uh, certainly for me, the issue of gerrymandering has to be at the top of the discussion here about yes, why, sir. why we have such a screwy legislature in states like ours where up until recently there were far more Democrats registered. I guess that recently changed in Kentucky, but still, like our legislature should be just about evenly split then, right? And how come it's so Republican supermajority? Well, it has to be because of gerrymandering, and you covered that on your show, right? Yes, yes, we did. And you probably have something to say about it, too, Tori. <laughs> we covered it briefly, and I know um, there's a national effort, and I can't think of the name of the group, but Eric Holder, Obama's former attorney general, mm -hmm. <laughs> um, right. started a group that was specifically focused on trying to end gerrymandering. And again, that is something I think, my sister lives in Virginia, and I think they had a ballot initiative on the Virginia ballot in a recent election, a statewide election, that had to do with eliminating gerrymandering. I think that and getting all this dark, big money out of politics are two issues that could unite people across the political right. spectrum. And on my last radio show where I interviewed Professor Joshua Douglas, about his book that he just recently wrote called Vote for U.S. or Vote for Us. And, and see, you asked me about my feeling about the election early on, Justin. I'm very excited about all of the energy and all the activity going on around this election. And his book is all about all of the positive things that are going on. And one of them is with gerrymandering. And it was in the state of Michigan, and he gave the story over my program of this woman who was thinking about having a Thanksgiving dinner, and then in her horror, she thought, oh my God, we can't talk politics. 
you know, because we've got, you know, we've got Trump supporters, we've got libertarians, you know, we've got election deniers. So how can, what can we bring people together at the, at the Thanksgiving table about? So what she did is she started a social action over social media about gerrymandering because she thought that would be something that could bring people together. And she put it on social media and it took off and lo and behold, Michigan put it on the referendum because of her one activity all wow. inspired by wanting to have a nice Thanksgiving dinner. <laughs> <laughs> and now they have a nonpartisan redistricting commission. So. I, don't, I don't know if any of you all listened to This American Life, the, the podcast and radio program, but uh, the weekend before the election, they did a whole show just on the experience of trying to draw fair maps and what Ohio went through with this. and. The Supreme Court, state Supreme Court support for that effort and turning down the gerrymandered maps five different times. They ran out of time, basically. The, the Republicans ran out the clock and they ended up having to vote on gerrymandered maps again this year. And this is really, this is a really insidious way of preventing us from having a truly representative democracy, Amen. right? Yeah, and not only that, but also the way the states are split up. You know, we have senators representing from Wyoming, yeah. <laughs> 580,000 people, as opposed to 39 million people in California. Right, right. I mean, does that sound fair? Right. Yeah, so there is one state in our nation, Nebraska, that has a unicameral legislature. So a unicameral legislature is a legislature that consists of only one house. The rest of the states, and of course at the national level, have this House and then a Senate. And where does this come from? It comes from the legacy of slavery, right? Like we, we did, we, the only way we could assemble this nation of slave states and non-slave states was to guarantee the South that they would have this place called the Senate, where every state had equal representation, even though the populations are so wildly different in the states, right? And why are we still clinging on to this legacy? This just doesn't, we see how dysfunctional it becomes, right? And you could argue that, oh, well, it helps with checks and balances, uh, but surely there's another way to do it. <laughs> yes, and, and Professor Douglas spoke of democracy labs at local levels, and that's why I invited David, because I think of clout as a democracy lab. Oh, wow. So I'm hoping he can tell us a little bit about how clout organizes people to make a difference at the local level? Very simply, I can tell you, you involve people, you make relationships, and you make, you structure things. Clout is a, a faith-based organization. That's, a, that's the organizing principle. Uh, we bring people together based on shared values. We know shared values because we do one-on-ones. We have a conversation. We don't make it up. We are not a, uh, a partisan organization. We do This election discussion is interesting, but we were never getting that. We are radically ecumenical. We make up, we've got Catholics and Baptists and Unitarians and Hebrews. Uh, we've got to get some Muslims in there. We're working on that. But we, we look like the city of Lowell. And we get what we do based on what we call a listening process, where we sit around the table in a structured meeting, and hear what people's concerns are. We just had one in the in the fall. We had a, a approximately 400 people at listening sessions throughout Metro Louisville. 
we take that and we cut it into five major areas and at our problems assembly, Ruth joined us there, at that problems assembly we voted on the, on the five topics and we elected to go with uh, children and youth with a subcategory on violence and safety and that. The next step is we set up a research committee and we will do research meetings with people in the community to listen. We'll cut a problem down to an issue an issue that we can address locally, not in Washington, not in Frankfurt, but in Louisville. And that's how we're successful. Now, we didn't get there magically. We had organizers. You got to have professionals running it. We have three organizers. You also, to have organizers, what else do you have to have? Oh, you got to have funds. So we have funding both on a membership, St. Leonard's pays dues, we have corporate investors and we have uh, funding mechanisms and that's how we get funded. And to go back to Ruth's earlier point, we are the last of the civics classes in the United States. <laughs> we teach people, we teach people that belong to us how to present to officials. Not on knees, but face to face. We train people through understanding the language and the fact that we have we are coming there to uh, create a solution, it's terribly effective. Uh, we are, our sponsoring body is Dart out of Miami, Florida. There's uh, we're primarily in the southeast. You got to find more about it if you want to make change. It's not about talk; it's about walk. If you want to make change, mm. you got to be clear in what you're doing and understand we have a whole bunch of stuff that we don't have time to talk about in terms of criteria, how we approach things. But we win. In 31 years, we have won. We just won. I, I said, we got more than 40 million because other housing groups have. We've gotten close to $90 million for the Affordable Housing Trust Fund that was established years ago. It had a legislative commitment of $10 million, which our elected officials chose to ignore. But we kept pressing, pressing, pressing. And that's how a citizen group can do it. But we couldn't have done that if we didn't have trained organizers to help us create teams and networks to do it. It's not magic. We turn, we'll turn out our Nehemiah this next year. Our goal is going to be 1,400 people. Who else is doing that? Wow. 1,400 human beings that's great. with an official. Yeah. So if I've got this right... Nehemiah, which is taken from the book of Nehemiah in the Bible, refers to an annual gathering of the entire clout membership. It'll be on March the 27th of 2023. And David tells me that they are expecting between 1,100 and 1,400 people to show up. They will present the culmination of all of their work throughout the year, researching the selected problem area and arriving at a solution to that problem. The goal of the Nehemiah meeting is to have in attendance whatever key decision maker has the authority to act on that issue, for example, the mayor of Louisville, and they attempt to get that individual to commit to the solution that they have presented right there on the spot. Well, I think what you're speaking to there, David, is that democracy does not end at the ballot box. 
That is just where it starts, right? Oh, this is not and certainly these, these political campaigns get us engaged and excited and election day is an exciting time. But we can't, unfortunately, we can't be the election decompression and then done, right? Like, and we have to keep pushing for true representative democracy. And that means uh, certainly like you all have done, uh, working with our existing lawmakers to ensure that to, to hold them accountable, really, it sounds like, because we, we committed right. to this and then didn't fund it, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. But to do even better and to pass new laws that would be even better, right? And there's nobody else going to do that but us. Otherwise, the lobbyists who are funded by the big money interests are going to keep winning. Uh, and so, so think about it that way that we're talking about the, we're doing a decompression from last Tuesday's election, but really this is just the start of the conversation. Now that we know who's in office, now that we know where those constitutional amendments stand, what do we do now? What's our agenda now? And we are going to keep talking here on Election Connection. I want to remind everybody that this is a special election decompression on the week after. <laughs> with, uh, with me, Justin Muggin here, guest hosting. we got Tori Strange and Bob Klein and Ruth Newman from Forward Radio. We also have Letty Hare and David Dutchke from Clout in with us today to talk about these important issues. So uh, let's keep this conversation going about how we really uh, organize after the election. Anybody have any big thoughts about that, like issues we can organize around? Or any of the results that might uh, swing the way of, of some of the issues we care about? Well, my biggest issue is the process itself. Yeah, we can talk about that it's, for sure. Uh, we need to start re-engaging just like they do in cloud and becoming excited about engaging in social change you know, through democratic processes. And that's what has me excited about um, what Cloud is doing is I, I think we have to start thinking about a whole cultural shift. Mm -hmm. And that's why I brought Letty, because I think Letty knows all about cultural shifts and she's lived in different cultures and she knows how, how people can get things going, you know, in their own society. And, and I think we're right now in a very liquid time here in America, and um, I think we're in the middle of a shift. I really do, and I think this election kind of brought brought out some of it. Yes, some of it. and to me, it's take the hate out of politics. Mm. Okay, opposition, but not hate, because wow. you think a certain way doesn't mean I have to hate you. You don't even have to hate what you're advocating for. Mm. Right. And, and to me, that boils down to the, the, the way that elections are conducted. It's as if you have to discredit your opponent. Absolutely. And, yeah, that, and you have to rile people up that there's, you know, that, that he's the enemy or she's the enemy. And, and this is where we have to start shifting our thinking. I was just going to say that in line with that thought, I think the media plays a really big part in all that. And that's why it's so exciting to be part of a community radio station where we try not to hype the way the, you know, when you turn on cable news, there's so much hype and there's so much talk about the horse race mm. all the time. You know, we were all thinking there was going to be a red wave mm. because of the media and not just the right of center media either. It was widespread. Stephen Colbert referred to it as a pink trickle. <laughs> Get that one. 
Well, I mean, there certainly is historically. It's, it's. I think all these predictions were based on historic trends. Yeah. The, you know, two years after a new president's office, it tends to swing the other way. Uh, and we did see a slight bit of that. We're recording here on, on Sunday, November 13th, and the race in Nevada has finally been called for the Senate, which despite whatever's going to happen in Georgia early December when they do that runoff, uh, it looks like the Democrats are going to maintain a very, very razor-slim majority in the Senate, thankfully, and the House is still up for grabs, right? Um, it's, yes. it's close, um, but there have been, let's see, Republicans have gained only six seats so far. Democrats have lost seven. So uh, there may be Republican slight control of the House. We still don't know. That's still up in the air. But definitely not a red wave. And, you know, where did that idea come from other than the historical? I mean, certainly polls have got it wrong. uh, But the polls, I don't know, the polls didn't do that bad this time, did they? Was anybody following the polls? Go ahead, Tom. All I know is that I heard a lot of discussion about Republican-leaning pollsters flooding the uh, space with well, less than reliable polls in the last couple of weeks before the election, and maybe that's where the media got some of its talking points. But at the same time, you know, you would hear people say, just don't don't think about the polls, just go vote, go vote. Don't get depressed by the polls, because the polling, when you think, oh my gosh, it's going to be a red wave, why should I why even should bother I to vote? Uh, yeah. And, um, yeah. yeah, one of the places where there's still one <laughs> wave, sadly, was Kentucky. (laughs) Except for the amendments. (laughs) Right, yeah. Uh, Republicans definitely held on to their very supermajority in in our Kentucky legislature. And there was no change in our federal representation. Let's talk about Rand Paul, y'all. How did this this happen? How does a senator like Rand Paul, who clearly is not representing Kentucky, I don't know what he represents, but it is not Kentucky. What's going on with Rand Paul's decisions? I mean, he's like a broken clock. He's right like once a day, but all the other time, where, where is this coming from? And not campaigning at all. The guy didn't even show up for a debate. He never debated his opponent. He obviously doesn't care about the people of Kentucky. And yet, overwhelmingly, like Charles Booker didn't even get 40%. Does this say that Charles Booker, Booker was not a strong candidate? Uh from my perspective, he certainly was. I, I don't know. What What are y'all's thoughts on this particular race? How does this happen? How does Kentucky keep sending these turkeys to Washington? I don't get it. It seems to me that it's mostly rural, okay? It's, uh, you know, the cities up near Cincinnati, Lexington, and Louisville, Jefferson County, and a few other places in the state are mostly Democratic, but a huge majority of the state is rural, I'm talking about, is Republican. Yeah, and I think also on top of that, we are at the bottom of so many metrics, like people who are educated, who have graduated college, people who have been put in prison, people who get cancer, any kind of metric you want to use, Kentucky is usually at the bottom. And that does not bode well for an informed public. We don't give our communities a lot of resources 
in order to improve our communities and our and our residents so that they are informed and that they they can make a good living and be you know good citizens i think that's part of it is is just we're not educated here and we need to, to educate people and i i don't understand either when it comes to charles booker because i thought that his whole concept of hood to the holler exactly. was a great concept. But I also He did not win the holler. <laughs> no, he did not. <laughs> no. The only the only counties that uh, Charles Booker won in were where Louisville, Frankfurt, and Lexington are. I mean, that's not even Bowling Green, not even uh, Berea, you know, like other places where you would think, well, maybe that county would, would swing towards Booker. Was it a referendum on the whole hood to the holler concept? Is there a way to unite the impoverished rural and urban communities uh, and create a political wave uh, in one direction that would finally unseat education education and awareness yeah go ahead lady well i'll just jump in a little i'm wondering how governor andy Bashir was able to win right what was his how was that possible yeah go ahead one this is not his strategy but one statistic i read in the courier journal uh, after the election was that Charles Booker got 45,000 fewer votes out of Louisville than Bashir did. And Bashir barely won over Matt Bevan. I mean, he eked out that victory. So Charles Booker didn't get as many votes out of reliably blue Louisville slash Jefferson County mm. as Bashir. And that's mm. that's got to be one of the reasons he lost. Um, that's sad. I've also heard commentary that the Democrats are not doing well with the working poor, mm. that we are getting more and more college educated, like the Democrats have more educated people, but the Democrats are losing the working poor. And so something is amiss there because they're shooting themselves in the foot if they mm. vote for Ed. So well, I think there's something to be said about um, having conversations across these bridges, you know. Well, and Ruth, what, what about... You know, Rand Paul has the name. I just really found out about Charles Booker this right. past spring. I you just didn't know about his campaign earlier against Mitch McConnell? No, no. Wow. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, two years ago he ran against Mitch McConnell right. and lost heavily. Uh, that made some slight more sense to me. Mitch McConnell, I think, is terrible and doesn't care about Kentucky either, but somehow has more cachet in this state to me than Rand Paul. I, just, I don't know anybody who supports this guy, and I was shocked to see signs for Rand Paul anywhere in Louisville, but I did, and the fact that he got 61.8% of Kentucky means that a lot of registered Democrats voted for this turkey. I don't get it. (laughs) Why? Give me one good reason. What does Rand Paul do right? Well, I get on my email town hall notifications I do like too. every month from Rand Paul. From Rand Paul, it's on my email, and I know, and I and I get a phone call too, and it's a robot telling me, "Stay on the line. You're going to be on a town hall meeting with Rand Paul." Huh? Yeah. Mm. So he does a lot of that throughout huh. the year. I think he's out in the hollers. Do you uh, really? Yes, because I uh, do a little podcast, as it were, for Radio Eye on Thursdays. I read the Paducah Sun for people that can't see. And that's a a very Western Kentucky, very Republican area. And he's been out there a lot during this election season. Mm -hmm. 
so and I think Charles Booker was there one time and had like 40 people come you know it sounded sad but I could see that Rand Paul is constantly there in a positive way for the area he's talking about local issues trying to bring the battery factory or something around there and uh, agricultural issues things like that I think Charles Booker just needs to keep at it and get his name well known. He needs to double down the next time and don't give up. John F. Kennedy, the first time he ran on the national level, he lost. He was with Adelaide Stevenson. But it was a primary and he lost. And his father said, don't give up. Nobody really knew about this. Just keep going. And look what happened. And how many times did Abraham Lincoln lose? Right. He got elected. Absolutely. This, well, didn't Barack Obama run into the same thing? I think Michelle said, yes. are you going to keep doing this? Ronald Reagan. The first day he lost against uh, Gerald Ford the first time. So you don't ever give up. That's right. Well, let's let's turn our attention here uh, on the election decompression to uh, to the mayor's race here in Louisville. I mean, a lot of people sort of wrote this one off as like, oh, that was in the bag long ago. But personally, I, when I started seeing all the signs up for DRF, who didn't seem like anything spectacular, why would you vote for this guy or put a sign in your yard for him? That got me. That got me a little worried, uh, and I, I had the the uh, spoiler. Uh, fear in me when I went to vote. Uh, I didn't personally was not excited about Craig Greenberg and I wanted to see some change in our town uh, and I think he represents the norm and and continuation as usual so I wanted to vote for one of the many independent candidates Uh, and and there was even a socialist candidate on the ballot for mayor and I started a little gun shy about doing that because I thought well maybe the T-Riff has a chance in the end I did. I voted for an independent candidate uh, and I don't regret it now but it was it was close, right? Uh, how did you all feel about the, the mayor's race and uh, what kind of issues you saw raised there? Well, this is Letty. Uh, I voted for the Republican candidate, for Jero. And it was because I want some change. Okay. We had kind of an elitist tourism idea of what uh, Louisville should be for a long time. Mm-hmm. And the situation is not getting better. Downtown to me is just a mess. And I hate the idea of now, I think a gambling casino is going to go in there. And I like the idea of somebody who can bring some order to this and a new new idea. And I'm hoping that Greenberg will do it. I'm not so against Greenberg. It was just I wanted to see a change. I don't think their campaigns were as far apart as a lot of national campaigns. That's the way I saw it. Am I wrong? Because I was wrong once before. (laughs) (laughs) It was back in 19... That's just the way I saw it. Because uh, they, they were in opposition, but they weren't hateful about it. Yes. That's true. Yeah, yeah, that is true. I think they were both, both uh, Greenberg and Dirac were very reasonable, <laughs> rational, gentlemanly types. Yes. And uh, I, was, I was very glad for that. Mm-hmm. I wish, though, I wish we had ranked choice 
voting because if we did have that, I would have voted for one of the independent candidates who I really, really liked when I heard her speak. She was on our station and Penny she was also yes, and I liked her too. Penny I thought Penny. she was terrific. I would have voted for her. Yeah. But we don't have ranked choice voting. So mm -hmm. a lot of states and cities do. And that's something else that I would like to see a grassroots movement lobby for. Even just locally to have ranked choice so that you can have the first choice, the second choice, the third choice. And and I'm not sure exactly how it works, but if nobody gets over 50% of the vote, then they start taking away the, the bottom candidates and they, they start putting in the second choice candidates. And then they have a runoff. Okay, here is a description of ranked choice voting that I found for Alameda County, California. And I also discovered that it is in effect in the state of Maine, Alaska, in um, Hawaii, in San Francisco, and other places. So it's um, becoming quite popular. So ranked choice voting allows voters to rank candidates in order of preference when marking their ballots. Ranked choice voting eliminates the need for runoff elections. So with ranked choice voting, if a candidate receives a majority, which is 51% or more of the first choice votes cast for that office, that candidate will be elected. However, if no candidate receives the majority of the first choice votes cast, an elimination process begins. The candidate who received the fewest first choice votes is eliminated. Next, each vote cast for that candidate will be transferred to the voter's next ranked choice among the remaining candidates. This elimination process continues until one candidate receives a majority and is deemed the winner. You know what would be wonderful? If just for a year or two, no one knew what party a candidate was in. That would be wonderful. Just on the issues, this is what I'm going for, and every man for himself, every woman for herself, whatever. No politics, no, no political party involved. And that is what Durov wanted. He, he wanted that. Yeah. I think that in his Jefferson town, is that where he's mayor? Mm -hmm. yeah. that he is nonpartisan. Is there any such thing, though? I mean, the reality <laughs> is there any such thing? If you if you really want nonpartisans, you have to create some kind of level playing field, and the playing field is not level. I mean, listening to this conversation, I mean, resources. Uh, you ask why Rand Paul wins? He's got money. Look at his bank account and the movement into organizing work. If we didn't have resources, we couldn't accomplish what we're doing. It's not magic. It's work. Lots of work, commitment, and a willingness to work with others who have shared values and a willingness to work on issues that may not be your number one issue, but is our issue. And that's, that's a key. whole different game. That is the key. I think this election was a big shocker, though. Mm -hmm. uh -huh. I mean, the other night when I saw, even saw... Nevada, the one that, that got the, the Republicans to 50 in the Senate. I think you met the Democrats. I mean, my jaw dropped, I thought. Right, because right, right now I think it's 
50 to 49. To 49. Yeah. yeah. The Dem the Democrats have 50. Yeah. Right. yeah. And if they win the runoff in Georgia, they will have 51. Right. And that, that just think talking about money because we were just talking about resources. If there were just some way <laughs> to get all this these floods of money that are coming from such a relatively small number of people. Um, I cannot remember the name of the person who just left his company. Mm -hmm. The person who basically runs the Federalist Society. Um, they just, Leonard Leo is I think his name. That's the pipeline for Supreme Court justices and, and judicial appointments all over the place. But they just received an enormous amount of money from one man. I mean, it, I think it was something close to a billion dollars. It's obscene. It's obscene. And so that's going to support more, you know, justices of a certain mold that will then get on the court. And I think this election to me also reflected the fact that, you know, the Supreme Court was a big issue in this election, I think, not just the court, but their decision on the Dobbs uh, case. I know the court is supposed to be impartial and all of that, but for all of the justices to have said, yes, we will respect precedent, and then to overturn almost 50 years of precedent, you know, the American people took note, and I, I don't think they were very happy, but there's nothing we can do about it. I mean... I just, I think that money has a lot to do with our troubles, that the institutions like the U.S. Senate or the U.S. House or state legislatures or even the Supreme Court are just not reflective of the will of the people. But I think that the election in general this time that turned into the pink trickle <laughs> instead of the red tsunami was because of Trump his denial because of the uh, Supreme Court justices that he put in. I think people want more stability. To me, this was an election about uh, calming down, about finding a normal, something in those lines. Mm -hmm. And I felt so good about that because I was really worried going in. Yeah. There was a skit on Saturday Night Live last night. And for years, I, did, I didn't watch Saturday Night Live after Bluchi and a few of the others left. But um, they're getting better because last <laughs> night they had the the lady, I can't remember her first name, Lake from Arizona, Kari who's Lake. running for governor against yeah. Hobbs. Yeah. And, you know, every time she was ahead... You know, she she had one opinion, and then they'd go, "No, wait a minute, you're behind." And she goes, "That's exactly why I'm saying da 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 da." da. <laughs> and she kept That's shifting. That's exactly why I'm saying that we can't trust our voting, we can't trust our elections. And then she would flip. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah, and that's exactly why we need to trust this process. And da da da. And it was hilarious because at one point she said. And furthermore, live from New York, as you know, and they always go into that. Well, I'm going to put in a plug for clean election because I think that's the solution to our money woes when it comes to candidates who are corrupted. I mean, people, both Democrats and Republicans, correctly so, think that we have a corrupt system, that we have corrupt politicians. 
And I don't blame individuals. I blame the system that allows obscene amounts of money to contaminate our, our election process. And clean elections would get rid of that. And it's already been demonstrated in various cities and parts of the country where a candidate who wants to run in a certain district has got to go to the residents in that district door to door or have town meetings. He somehow has to talk to those constituents in order for him to get enough $5 or $20 donations because clean elections only allows for small dollar donations and only from one's district. And so once they get a certain threshold of support from people in that district, because they actually talk to those people, then public financing kicks in. And then they can run on a clean elections banner against somebody who is not running on a clean elections banner, even though that person has so much more money, but they don't have the clean elections good housekeeping approval. <laughs> You know, and so I, I really believe that that is a way that we can take all this money out of politics and get candidates back to talking to their constituents. Because if we don't, the only people they're talking to are the people who are funding them, and they become those people's puppets. And that's where we fall down in our democracy, it seems to me. Which has been going on forever. I know. Yes. I know when you talk to people about this, you get a lot of cynical responses. You know, yes. you're never going to be able to keep money out of politics. It's just, you know, and and I just think there must be some way to do it. Right. <laughs> but I couldn't give you a solution, although that clean elections sounds very inspiring. But then you think about the people with the huge amounts of money, because we we're in such a bad time for economic inequality in this country, yes, which is, I think, another reason why there was such a, you know, surge toward this kind of authoritarian mindset. There's so few people with so much and so many people with so little. It's not a good recipe for d democracy. Who, what are the states that have clean elections in place? Well, Maine has clean elections and there are some cities that do. Albuquerque, New Mexico. Is that um, something we could get the Metro Council? Well, to? I tried to do that once. I went to the Metro Council. I asked a couple of council people when I was having one of my shows whether we could start. We could start local and try to get it locally in Louisville. And what they said was that their hands are tied because everything is controlled from Frankfurt. It's all state control. And I asked Professor Douglas that on my show, and his response was, then why don't we go try to lobby Frankfurt? Because he said, that's something that Republicans, they like the idea of local control, you know, small government, go closer to the people. And we should be able to get the city of Louisville to have more control over things like redistricting for Metro Council. Why shouldn't that be a city thing instead of a state thing when it comes to Metro Council? Or, or when, it, when it comes to voting for our local candidates, why couldn't we have local control over that and we don't? 
and and they do in a lot in so many other cities in the country. I just read uh, what was it San Diego? Yeah, I think it was San Diego just decided to have automatic registration as soon as a person turns 18 they are automatically registered to vote and they automatically receive a ballot to vote and San Diego did that I would I would love it if Louisville had that yeah. kind of authority that we could do that but we are apparently our hands are tied yeah, don't again that. don't give up yeah <laughs> that sounds like a good issue for clout <laughs> look, look at look at the Ukrainians, okay? Yeah. You, you know, you think Russia against the Ukraine, Russia just going to come in there and it's like, we take over now, you know? <laughs> and the Ukrainians said, oh, really? Come on. And they haven't given up. And it wasn't a major city over there outside of Kiev. Yeah. Kherson, uh, Kherson. Liberated. So don't give up on any local level. One would think that people with a lot of money have a lot of power, but they only have power because there's a vacuum of people. Yeah. But people really, if they're organized, yeah, sure. if they're they have organized, the power. <laughs> they right. really yeah. have the power. Exactly. Well, they have to be organized and to respond to an issue. Though we would not be in partisan issues, but yeah. an issue if it related to what we heard from our membership. Remember, right. we don't make these issues up. We listen to people. Right. We take that issue and then you begin research. There were a number of ideas floated around here. You got to do homework. And once you do the homework, you determine which one you can accomplish where you are at. Yes. Otherwise, <laughs> We all sit around here and we pick our nose or pull our ears. <laughs> Ain't that awful. Right. Yeah. And frankly, I don't have enough days left on the planet to do that awful. Oh, brother. You, you know, when money is matched, that then it's the power struggle. In other words, you know, one person going against another, if they have pretty much the same amount of money in their campaign, in their own bank account, then it becomes a power struggle. It's like uh, a comedian said back in the 60s when uh, Leonard Brezhnev came into power in the Communist Party, it's like one of the upper echelons in the Communist Party went up to him and said, don't try nothing funny. We have picture of you with Duck. <laughs> you know. <laughs> and I thought, is that not the truth? You know, we've got something on you. And if you go too far, then we're going to, well, do speaking, our part. speaking of not giving up, I just want to give a shout out to uh, all our forward radio volunteers and programmers because yes, we had a long, hard road to get this radio station on the air and nobody gave up. And right. that's why we're here. Yes, and we're here for you guys out there, too. That's part of the democracy that we're trying to encourage and grow get people to amplify their voices over the air. I mean, you might find that you really enjoy it, yeah. you know? Um, and I wanted to say also, David, that part of what I like about clout is it's an enjoyable experience. It's, it's all about relationships. That's where it begins and that's where it ends. Thanks, everyone. Thank you. Really <laughs> Thanks for being here. Very nice. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being here, Letty, her, David Dutschke, 
Victoria Strange <laughs> and Bob Klein, and I'm Ruth Newman. Glad to be here. And what are you going to talk about around the table this Thanksgiving? How about throwing out there a challenge to come up with some nonpartisan issue that everyone at your gathering can agree on? Something that could rally your neighbors or your community or workplace or classmates or fellow bus riders or pickleball partners or book club, whatever. Just shoot us an idea that you and your loved ones have come up with around the table. If we think it's a good one, we will mention it over the radio. We may even do research on it and have a show on it. So just go to forwardradio.org and click on contact. Let's keep the momentum going. You've been listening to Election Connection with special guest host Justin Mogg, introducing you to our participants in a roundtable discussion of the midterm election. And those folks were forward radio programmers Bob Klein and Victoria Strange, as well as special guests Letty Herr and David Dutchsky. You too could be a guest, or you could commandeer your own show, or simply take the mic for a one-shot to say your piece about an issue or experience you've had. Just go to forwardradio.org and click on Participate. And while you're at it, go to Donate to support Radio by the People for the People. This is Ruth Newman wishing you a happy, loving, nourishing Thanksgiving. Now what's the word? Democracy. What's the word? Democracy. Yeah, what's the word? Democracy. Yeah, what's the word? Democracy. It ain't enough. Democracy. Make it grow. Democracy. The seed you sow spread democracy. You need enough. Democracy. Make it grow. Democracy. Don't let it go. Democracy. Don't let it go. Democracy. We are your election connection. We are your election connection. We are your election connection.